Hello and welcome to the next in the series of studies in John's Gospel. Jesus blasphemes. What does that mean? How did he do it? We're going to read about the people getting exceedingly angry with him and calling him blasphemous. But why? The context is John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep, says Jesus. And in our last talk, we looked at how he says, I give them eternal life, my sheep, and they shall never perish. And we talked about the significance of that. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The, the, the power of this idea that once Jesus has decided to give somebody eternal life, nothing can dissuade him from that. And that's so important that he repeats it, but he repeats it in an interesting way. He says, my father has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Now, it's not that there are two hands, one of the father, one of Jesus. It's Jesus implying that he and the father are one. Unless you doubt that, that's what he's implying. Well, he spells it out explicitly in the next verse. I and the father are one. So he's saying that uh, he is directly the same as the Father God. And we read immediately, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. They wanted to kill him straight away in line with their understanding of the Old Testament law because they believed that he had committed uh, a blasphemy. And Jesus said to them, this is verse 32 of 10, John 10, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you stoning me? So he's kind of teasing them. He's asking the question. Why is he saying, Lord, I've done lots of good things. If you go back to our talk entitled Actions, you'll look at the things that he'd done as the Messiah, about how he'd healed people and fed people and so on. Why are you stoning me? Which of these good things? Now he's pulling their leg, which is pretty brave when he's under, uh, people are, are beginning to lob stones at him or that would imply that they haven't yet hit him. We are not stoning you for any good work, they reply. I do love the idea of them kind of having a conversation as they're throwing things at him. Oh, we're not stoning you. We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Now, that's the key thing, and I want to come back in a moment and try and understand why that made them so, so angry. It's a very extreme reaction to try and kill someone because they, were because they perceived he was claiming to be God. Now, we've looked at other t at times, particularly in our sessions in the first beginning of these John studies, many, many months ago in John 1, that Jesus intentionally wanted to give that impression. He intentionally does things to claim he was God. And saying that he and the Father's hand are the same was another one of them. We are not stoning you for any good work, they reply, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said to you, there are gods. Now, Jesus does a little bit of playing with them, a little bit of teasing, which is a little bit complicated. He quotes Psalm 82, which was a, a psalm that they didn't understand and that was controversial because it, it quotes calling mankind gods. And he says, it's written in your law, I've said to you, you are gods. If he called them gods, that's the, the writer of the psalm, uh, to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the father sent apart as his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? 
Now, don't worry if you don't really understand why he quotes Psalm, but he's basically pulling their leg and saying, don't, accuse, don't say that nobody can be God because the Old Testament itself says that there, there are people who are God. And you have been debating that yourselves. Uh, George Beasley Murray explains it this way. If those addressed by God in this passage can be called gods and sons of God, how much more can he whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world be so termed? So don't worry about the theological night. People have spent hours trying to work out what that psalm means. But Jesus is just saying, he's just kind of taunting them a little bit. He says, do not believe in me, this is verse 37, unless, do you not believe in me unless I do the works of my Father? And if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, that's okay, and I in the Father, whoa. That the very nature of Jesus is in the Father God. This is controversial. So, 39, again, they tries to seize him. So you imagine this conversation, they've got the stones in their hands, he's, he's kind of stopped them, but uh, he starts again. Again, they tries to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Now, we don't know how he escaped their grasp. Probably through supernatural power, somehow he just walked through and they couldn't harm him. That was something we'd seen before. John then tells us in the remaining chapters, verses, sorry, of John 10, that he goes back to where John the Baptist had been teaching and many believed in his name. So I just want to ask two very simple questions. Why was claiming to be God so upsetting? Why did they literally try to kill him for saying it? And why is that good news for us? Well, let's try and understand why was claiming to be God so upsetting? The Old Testament faith is similar to nearly every other faith today. And they had a view that God was so holy, so set apart, so pure, so good, so righteous, that he could not be contaminated by being in contact with humanity. Because humanity was so fallen, so broken, so sinful, that God had to be completely separate, completely other, completely holy. And therefore, uh, the idea that God would be on earth, walking amongst human beings, talking amongst human beings, was too uh, upsetting to contemplate because it, in their mind, it would imply that God was no different to human beings and that he wasn't that good. And so built on that was this understanding that human beings were simply too evil for God to become one of them. That mankind was essentially flawed and damaged and broken and corrupt and dirty with its lusts and desires that God couldn't possibly uh, uh, come amongst them and certainly could not be one. That God could be tired, that God could be born through a woman's womb, unacceptable in their mind. That God could... Um, need the bathroom, that God could uh, be contaminated by this world. And we still see that idea in, amongst religions and it still infiltrates and infects Christianity. 
Some people take a doctrine which is called the doctrine of original sin, which may or may not be have some truth within it. Certainly not a word that the Bible uses. But they build on this, this idea that mankind is essentially evil in of itself. And we need to remember that when God created humanity in Genesis, he says it was good. We are broken. We are fallen. We have disappointed. We have let God down. We are sinful. All of that is undeniable. But we're still loved because our very essence Humanity was a good idea. Mankind is a good thing. And God is willing. I might be pushing it a little bit far, but perhaps God is even pleased to become a human being. And that's mind-blowing. And they were angry because they felt that insulted God. Actually, we need to see a completely different thing. That what Jesus is claiming is incredible good news. Because God loved humanity so much that he comes among us. He chooses to identify as a human being. He chooses to walk, to live, to sleep, to be born of, to grow up with to be ridiculed and rejected by humanity because we are so significant and precious to him. Mankind is not a mistake, not an accident. We're not an abomination. We are loved and precious, so loved that God takes on our clothing. He becomes a human being. And the wonder of the incarnation is something that rejoices and sets free or it polarizes and causes people to reject. And for many extreme forms of religion, it's a deeply upsetting idea that God loves humanity with all our warts, with all our uh, our faults. And they have this idea that they are somehow protecting the name of God by hurting humanity. And Jesus comes and shatters that and he takes on humanity. And that is great news for us. It's good news. And the second element of that is that the character, therefore, of Jesus is the character of God. And I often worry that some perceptions of the Trinity and some teachings of the Trinity encourage people to see Jesus and the Father as having different characteristics and different personalities. And for some people who are trying to follow Jesus, they have an idea that Jesus is the loving, gracious and forgiving one. And God in heaven, the Father, is the austere, the punishing one who punishes Jesus. But the Father and the Son are one. It is the Father who dies on the cross. It is the Son who will greet us in heaven. Because the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. 
And we cannot separate God into three parts. Hear, O Israel, the Bible says very clearly, the Lord your God is one. And he becomes a human being whilst remaining in heaven. And he fills us with his spirit whilst remaining in heaven, whilst being the one who died on the cross. And we ask Jesus into our lives because it, the Holy Spirit is Jesus. Because we ask Father into our lives. The Father is the Son, is the Spirit. I and the Father are one, he says. And so there isn't a division in God with different personalities. The character of Jesus is the character of God. Paul says to the Philippians, he's very nature God. The exact representation, he says to the Colossians. Therefore, God himself is wanting to give us eternal life. And just remember in the previous verse, he says, the no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand as well as the Son. He's saying, look, it's not just Jesus who loves us. It is the entirety of God, the Father. It is the Father God who is wanting to forgive us and come to us on the cross. This is not to make us angry. This is to wonder in our value, to wonder in the preciousness of humanity and the significance of human beings. And that's not even to begin to look at what it means that we're made in his image. We must value human life. So our questions for reflections. How does Jesus being God change our feelings about humanity? Do we have too negative a view of the flesh? This was a Greek idea that was around at the time that our bodily desires were dirty and horrible and wrong and therefore God couldn't possibly be like that. And Jesus is smashing that open. And our natural desires need to be contained and managed and punished for the good of all but they are not intrinsically evil. And how does Jesus being God change our feelings about him, about the God in heaven, about perhaps our understanding simply of the word Father that for many is difficult because of our own experience of fathers. And Jesus wants to come and break that fear of the Father heart of God. And what does this change about our feelings about forgiveness and the longing and the desire and the willingness of God to forgive rather than this perception that he begrudgingly has to? And what does it say about our value? That God died on a cross for us. Not a prophet, not a servant, not an instrument of God, but God himself took on human form and lived and died for you and I because we matter, because we're wanted, because he calls us to become his children and to everyone who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we thank you that you came to us. Father, we thank you that you came to us in Jesus. God, we thank you that you came among us. Thank you that you created humanity and when you did so, you said we were good. We confess that we've fallen far short of what you wanted and we no longer behave in a good way. But we thank you that made in the image of God, we are precious to you. Lord, help us to live out this value that you've put in humanity. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.